This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Team you hate playing again? Yeah, uh, yeah I guess fucking auto, I guess. <laughs> We're a team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Sens Hour podcast. I am joined by Derek Lee, the Sensot contributor. You've probably seen a bunch of his work on Twitter. He does amazing stuff. So you already, if you haven't read his articles, definitely head on over there to read some. I'll have some links in uh, in when we post the episode on Twitter and Instagram and whatnot. Thank you for joining me, Derek. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, despite the uh, crappy weather that we're having uh, up here in Muskoka. I think, uh, you know, all things considering, I'm happy to be joining you this morning. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not overly pretty here in Ottawa. It's been relatively rainy the last couple of days. But, I mean, it's better than snow, right? That's right. I don't even want to say the word. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Minnesota just had like a, a giant snowfall warning, like a blizzard warning the other day. And like, I know that's coming and I'm not about it. Yeah, same here. I'm not looking forward to getting up super early to clean the car off for work. Yeah, I know that would not, no, it's not, not ideal. Nope. <laughs> um, but on today's episode, we got a bunch of talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the, the Connor Brown and Anthony Duclair situation and i know and i mean if you follow you on twitter we all know how much of a duclair fan you are <laughs> um so we'll jump into that real quick about what do you think of that contract demand from duclair yeah so um you'll know that i reacted because i definitely reacted when the news first came out and, and it was a series of events so it came out that duclair was being basically given away and then we signed Eric Branson for, uh, and his cap hit was $4 million. Um, so immediately I reacted and I was furious with it. I mean, Duclair was their leading goal getter, only 23 goals, but, but still. Um, I felt like he could be uh, maybe not a core member of the team, but at least warranted a, a couple years um, for a return to see what he could do. Um, but then when the contract uh, demands came out and broke, I mean, he was asking $5 million over five years. Um, I'm the biggest Duclair fan, as you said. I just, I don't know what he was thinking, not having an agent representing him. And I think he's a little bit off his rocker if he's asking for five years, $5 million. <laughs> so yeah. my, my perspective on it has completely changed. I would love to see Duclair back, but that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think we can all agree that, you know, Duclair at maybe, you know, $3 million is a high number, but probably worth it, depending on which Duclair you're going to get. Are we going to get the Duclair from the beginning of the year who had like 31 points, or are we going to get the Duclair in the back half of the year who got, you know, nine points? And so for that to come out, and then Connor Brown to come out, and I know it's arbitration. I know that, you know, he's that whole process is, you know, bid high on yourself and the team bids low but i still think 4.8 for a guy who hasn't i think put up 40 points that, that's a lot of of money yeah i completely agree with you i think the other 
part to that is just the right wing depth that Ottawa's acquired. Like the the move for Dadanov really changes the landscape for Ottawa. I mean, when you go out and get a guy who you know is consistent and can put up points, but also just play a complete game. And that's what Connor Brown brought you. You know, someone who you know the floor is high on. You know he's going to at least go out and, and compete and be very good defensively. But Dadnov brings a lot of those qualities, and he's way better offensively. So it does change the landscape for three years. Um, and then we've got, you know, Batherson, Abramov, Balsers. Are you going to move Colin White to the right side? It Suddenly, it starts to fill up a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, looking at Dadunov, I think I think that was kind of the trade that we or signing that we needed. But to talk about that a little bit more, what importance did Anisimov have? You know, there were there was talks that you know they had a really good chat, and Anisimov had nothing but good things to say. Do you th- do you think as a fan base we're underappreciating Anisimov and we're kind of saying that oh you know he's our fourth line center even though when he was healthy he was one of our more consistent players he was good offensively he was on the power play do you think that you know we could see Anisimov as our number one center this coming season Absolutely I think uh, you could build a case for it I mean suddenly the Zach Smith trade looks pretty damn good right now considering you know Anisimov did a lot of the talking to acquire Dadnov. Um, so yeah, there's no reason really with the center depth that we have right now, it's there, there is no number one center if we're being honest for next season. You know, you're hoping that at some point in the next couple of seasons, Tim Stutzla becomes that guy. But for now, I mean, Colin White, he had a down season. Uh, Chris Tierney, he's again, kind of a responsible player and could maybe play that role. And then Josh Norris and Logan Brown. I mean, I don't know that you throw them into the wolves, so to speak, and, and have them playing number one center minutes. Um, so is there a possibility that you put Dadanov with Anisimov and uh, and have them together on a line? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's funny that Ottawa went from being this team that kind of stayed away from Russians. You know, we had Gonchar, we had Kovalev and whatnot, but we kind of stayed away from Russians. And then now all of a sudden we have like five on our in our roster. We drafted Sikorov, we have Abramov, we signed Zub earlier in – in the well, after the after the season was canceled, and then we signed uh, Dadunov. It's just interesting to see kind of the philosophy change from this not very Russian team to I think we have the most Russians on a roster at least on the NHL level in the league. I know last year we had like five and or four, and we were up there I think with Washington. And I don't think that's changed much. Yeah, the I, I mean, the interesting part to that is what was it that kind of changed their philosophy on Russians? I mean, suddenly they just kind of started believing that, you know, they could, act, in fact, add Russians to their roster because, you know, like you said, prior to, it seemed blatant that they were avoiding Russians. So now to go from, you know, zero and in a matter of a couple of years, you're getting as many as five Russians on the team. I mean, that's a huge change. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like the Russians that we had weren't playing well. You know, Kovalev, back end of his career, so was Gonchar, but they were still important pieces to what we had when they were here. I think it was just Russians got such a bad rap. I think we drafted a couple that just refused to come over and things like that where it kind of changed. Like, when you're drafting a Russian, and I mean, this is the same with Europeans because as a whole, because we have uh, Wilkstrand who... 
out of Sweden, I think a couple of years ago, everyone was so high on it. He just refuses to come over. He just, he never wanted to, he stayed in Sweden. Uh, I don't really know exactly why. I think there was some family issues that, that kind of happened and he's like, I want to stay in Sweden. So like European prospects, you really have no idea how they're going to plan out in terms of coming North. And I think they were just more of like better safe than sorry. Yeah. And I think the, the other part to that is now, you know, with the prospect pool being one of, if not the best in the entire NHL, it allows you to swing for the fences a little bit on, on some players. So if you want to take a couple of risks, you can do so. And I mean, Sokolov is, is a perfect example of that. A 20-year-old who they go out and, and take a chance on. And I think he has some high upside. Like, I really, really like that pick. And I mean, I think... Batherson has a lot to do with that pick because they were teammates in Cape Brennan. He was teammates with Mandalozzi, but you know, Batherson, I believe was an overager when he was drafted, he was in his second or third draft and they've had success with him. So they're look at this guy, you know, he seems like he'll be a solid middle six. I don't really see him being a, a you know, a top six. He'll probably be second or third line, but power play penalty kill. He seems like a guy that can play in all situations and produce. And I mean, hey, if he's gotten better every year, like like coaches have said, he's going to start off in Belleville playing the right side, probably filling in for Batherson, to be honest. And we'll really be able to see what he can do at the next level. Absolutely. And I mean, the guy is like a train. He's built like a train. He's like 237 pounds or something like that. He's huge. Um, So having, you know, someone that big on your right side will be, you know, detrimental for the opposition when that guy is coming down the wing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if you put him with Kachuk and uh, Logan Brown as a line. That's just, that's a lot of size and a lot of a lot of pounding. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know Ottawa's philosophy has been clear. I mean, they're trying to get players that are a pain in the ass to play against, and I think they've done so this off season. Yeah, and I mean, moving on from from that or continuing that. You know, Pierre Dorian has done a really good job. And I think, you know, say what you want about Melnick. He's somewhat started to to hold his end of the bargain up going out signing Dadunov. You know, I think if if most sense fans a couple of years ago, uh, even last offseason, if we signed it, like if Dadunov expressed interest and no one would believe that we would sign him. And I think even this year we were kind of a dark horse to sign him. But, you know, Melnick has somewhat started to put his money where his mouth is. I think, yeah, you said it best. I mean, um, if there was anyone kind of on the fence of, you know, whether they should buy in or not right now, I think it's worth it to buy in. I mean, next year is going to be a lot of fun, probably, you know, not going to be the best standings wise. And, you know, we'll get into that later, but, um, but it's still going to be a lot of fun and you want to be along for the ride. So if you're on the fence about buying in, I think now is the time to buy in because, you want to be here for some of the downfall so that you could see that rise and not just kind of jump on the bandwagon when, you know, ultimately it happens because I think it's going to happen now. Yeah. And I mean, I've always been like, I know not everyone's a Melnick fan and I've had my own issues with Melnick at times. And I think everyone has, but for me, I love the confidence that he has given to this club and to Pierre Dorian. It's a bold claim saying, Oh, we're going to win a cup in four years because realistically you never know you can't predict stuff like that but the confidence that he's showing in that is you know Pierre Dorian has a plan everyone's focusing on that plan we're not deviating from that plan and if this plan works out we will win a cup and as a fan base I think that's all you can really 
hope for from not just management, from ownership. Yeah, absolutely. I think the window is going to be open for a number of years. I mean, most likely if they stay kind of building this product organically, which I think is the plan, um, it's the right way to do it. You know, they're not taking chances on free agents. They sign Dadunov for three years, which, you know, for a 31-year-old is the perfect player to get you to the next step for your, you know, for your ultimately your core players to begin to take over. And I think um, when I look at it as a whole, I think really uh, after this season, we really start to take a step forward. And I think that's when, uh, when we'll really see people jump on board if they haven't already. Yeah. I mean, if the jerseys haven't got you on board, I don't really know what else will, Uh, you know, continue with Pierre Dorian, you know, it started off with the Matt Murray trade. I think there was speculation, I think, for, for quite some time that Ottawa has kicked tires with Matt Murray. But under contract, we had Hogberg and Nielsen. There was rumors that Nielsen would be ready for whenever the season started. So going out and getting a goaltender didn't seem like a good idea because why have three goaltenders under an NHL contract? Obviously, it sounds like Nielsen's not coming back, unfortunately. You know, he had his time in Ottawa. He was decent. He was a solid stopgap goaltender. Hope him nothing but health uh, and getting back from his concussions. But that Matt Murray trade, who he gave up and how much he gave up is ridiculous. You know, a second-round pick and a a B-level prospect, uh, that's a win right there. For a 26-year-old goaltender, um Absolutely. I mean, we gave up next to nothing for uh, for a guy who's won two Stanley Cups before the age of 26. I mean, that's that's insane. Um, and yeah, the potential um, that Matt Murray brings is still very much there. I know um, numbers wise, he had a down season last year. Um, he was definitely being pushed uh, a lot by Tristan Jari. And uh, and I don't know that he did well in that situation. But now we're talking about Matt Murray. Um, coming on and definitely being the, you know, the number one guy, he's, he's going to have a little bit of pushback from some of the prospects, but not nearly what he had last season uh, with Tristan Jari. Um, And I think if he can return to, you know, that 919, 920 save percentage um, that he's put up before uh, just a couple of seasons ago, we're looking at a steal, an absolute steal. Yeah, and I mean, then you had to figure in the contract. I think six. I think it's six two point six point two five uh, over four years. I think for a twenty seven year old or a goaltender who will be like thirty thirty one at the end of his contract, that's a a great deal. You're betting on him going back to form. You look at last year's anomaly. You know, you, you dealt with your injuries. Um, Pittsburgh fans weren't necessarily the nicest, and I wonder how that kind of affected him mentally because I know he was dealing with like the loss of his father through all this and whatnot. So if we, if you can get him back to one of the, you know, nine seventeen nine twenty save percentage, 6.25 is a, a steal even in, in that kind of regard cap wise, considering we don't have, we're not cap strapped over the course of his contract. Yeah. And I look at it in, in a couple of different ways as well. I look at it as, you know, that was kind of the first domino that fell in the off season that, move for Matt Murray also sent a message to players like Brady Kachuk, who we need to resign and um, players like Dadnoff, who they were able to acquire in free agency. The message was, if we like you enough, we will spend money on you and we'll show you that commitment, you know, for a long period of time. And that's the message that Matt Murray got that the organization believes that he can return to form. 
And so I have no problem with spending, like you said, for, for a team that's not going to be cap strapped or even close, um, for a team like Ottawa to spend 6.25 uh, per season, I don't have any problem with it. What what do you think? Like, are you worried that Kachuk hasn't signed? I know they've come out and said that, you know, they're going to see what the landscape is, which I think is, is good on both parts. Flat cap and whatnot. Don't really know when next season is going to start. Are you, are you one of those fans that look at it as like half glass half empty or glass half full kind of situation? Uh, I always try to come in somewhere in the middle. So uh, maybe glass half full. <laughs> so I'm looking at it um, in, a, in a couple of different ways. I mean, the market right now, I could see Kachuk's perspective and maybe even the team's perspective. It's just kind of a funky market right now with COVID going on and everything else. Um, and he does have, you know, another year left. So there's a lot of time left to re-sign that contract. And I think um, Kachuk, in a way, is probably betting on himself. He's betting that he's going to have a really productive season. And he could, in fact, increase his value quite a bit if he does that. Um, whereas, you know, Thomas Shabbat signed relatively early, I think a year before uh, his contract was up. So, um, so I think Kachuk and his family, who are probably very much in on this decision, um, are helping him uh, to make the best decision for him. And I have no problem with that. Um, I'm confident that Ottawa can get a long-term deal done with Brady Kachuk. And I think when they do so, they'll most likely make him the captain of the team. Yeah, and I mean, if you ask Adidas, they probably already know he's going to be captain. <laughs> I mean, for the people who bought, like, I, I was going to buy a jersey, but, like, I've told, you know, my, my big thing is I didn't want a jersey that had a big player on it. You know, I know everyone's going to be rocking the, the Shabbats and the Kachucks. I was, so, you know, right now, you know, I put out a poll there. It sounds like Batherson's the favorite, and, you know, 19 always looks good. We've seen 19 on that jersey plenty of that kind of jersey oh, yeah. plenty of times. So the, I think Matt Batherson might be the way to go for me with uh, Ryan not being a, a, on the team anymore. I love I I love what you said. I love getting jerseys that you know not everyone's going to have. You're going to go to a game and you're going to see how many Shabbat and Kachuk jerseys, and even Stutzla. Uh, now are you going to see? a ton of them. I, I did kind of the same thing. I went off the grid a little bit and, and went for a Adler Mannheim Tim Stutzla jersey. That's and uh, I, well, I tried to, and I actually got scammed oh, <laughs> my own fault, but, uh, but I got scammed on the Jersey. It was on a, you know, a Hong Kong website. I didn't even look, I literally hit buy now, check out, put my credit card information in. And now I'm dealing with my bank to get the money back, but I will find a reliable uh, site to get that jersey. I want that jersey. Hey, well, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, if you know a way to get uh, Alder Mannheim jersey, that'd be let let Derek know on let Twitter. <laughs> Find him at uh, dlee 75 on Twitter. Let him know. Uh, personally, I would, honestly, I'm, I was very tempted to get a Shane Pinto jersey. Uh, just, oh. but like, you know, Zaitsev wears twenty two, and that's the number that Pinto wears. The chances of him wearing that in Ottawa very slim unless Zaitsev leaves. So it's one of those jerseys where I'm going to wait and see what happens. Yeah, you don't want to play a, a numbers guessing game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, at least I don't have to go out and buy a new Willanian jersey because he went up and switched his number. I've seen that, the 24. I like it. 
It looks Honestly, good. it looks it looks so good. And I mean, he said it earlier in the year in a in a piece with Belleville. They were talking about his jersey number. Like they did a whole thing on jersey numbers, and he said that once he's up in the NHL next year full time, he's going to switch to to twenty four. And I'm like, that'd be sick. Yeah, I think twenty four looks phenomenal on him. Eighty six. I mean, that's what he was repping before. I think. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a. I don't know. I always found it to be like a forwards number, just because it was so high and. I don't know, kind of funky. 24, I think, will suit him 100%. He's an offensive defenseman. I like it. I think he'll probably be one of the first players to wear 24, if I'm not mistaken, since uh, Anton Volchenkov. I can't oh, think of man. anyone. How could I, I forget I, Volchenkov? Yeah. I think Stefan DeCosta might have worn it. Oh, yes. I think he might have been the only other player to wear it. Uh, I'm going to pull that up real quick. But if so, I mean, even way, that's going to look sick. Seeing that 24 back on that style of a jersey, you're going to be amazing. Yeah, Volchenkov, I mean, Sens legend. And DaCosta was one of those players. I think there was a tweet out that said, you know, name a player that you thought was going to turn out to be a superstar. Um, I just couldn't. And, and never ended up making it for whatever reason. Stefan DaCosta was like, at the time, I was so high on that guy. I thought his passing was insane. Like, I thought, this guy is going to be definitely the next number one center for the team. <laughs> it never amounted to anything. I think if, if you look at that time period of, like, 2010 to about 2013, uh, our player development in Ottawa was crap. Yeah. And I think ever since then, you've started to see it improve. You know, you had your anomaly with Eric Carlson, and I don't really know how much of that really can be contributed to Ottawa's player development. I think Carlson was just... Different. He was going to, yeah, he was going to be that guy no matter what. When you look at guys like Matt Pumple or, or Shane Prince, that we selected in the first round, I think in like 2012, mm-hmm. um, even you know Cody CC and, and whatnot. I feel like there were and Curtis Lazar. There was a good like five six year gap where our player development was garbage. Absolutely. And, and now it, it seems like over the last three four years, our player development has improved greatly. And I think that's that's something that needs to, that doesn't get talked about is that like. Uh, Sean Donovan, Jesse Winchester, Clark MacArthur have done a great job at that. Yeah, and I think I, I think that along with again having just a, a huge number of prospects in the system, it allows you to kind of slow the process down um, as opposed to before when you know we're talking about other players that were you know Curtis Lazar, kind of uh, Cody Cece, kind of rushed into their roles because Ottawa was a competitive team at the time. So it was about, you know, surrounding the core players with these young players that were kind of coming up. And now it's more about making sure that you maximize these guys' potential. Yeah, I mean, I, I was one person who did, who loved the Zibanejad trade. Uh, and it's not because I didn't like Zibanejad. I just felt like he wasn't living up to his potential in Ottawa. He had other, his mind was elsewhere. Uh, and... You know, Broussard was a very important piece to that 2017 run. I think people forget about that. Short term, it worked out. Long term, it didn't. But I'm also very happy to see Zibanejad have success and kind of mature in New York. And I think that's something that Ottawa looked back on and like, okay, you know, this was only a couple years ago, but what can we do differently so this doesn't happen? And I think that's why they're a little bit more reluctant to give up on a guy like Logan Brown, who's been in the system since you know 2016 and has been to almost every camp since then but doesn't seem to just be able to make like crack it and you know i know boucher didn't really like him and dj smith was like he's good we just don't want him playing in a bottom six role and i think that like those are 
those are learning steps that Pierre Dorian has learned from as a time as GM. Yeah, and, and they're taking, like you said, they're taking a more patient approach, and hopefully we get to see Logan come to camp. I'm still um, somewhat unsure if Ottawa does see him in the long-term picture or if they see him even make it past this offseason. I know, um, you know they're definitely talking about acquiring a center, and I kind of wonder if Logan Brown isn't part of whatever package um, is sent out, if it's via trade. Um, but I like the raw skill of Logan Brown. Um, definitely like what he brings on the power play. And uh, I think analytically as well, uh, a number of people have mentioned that he's actually not too bad. Like he can drive play. Um, he can make those around him better. Certainly in the AHL, he can do that. We need to see him play with more intensity and more pace. Um, but I think you're right. I think they're very hesitant because of, you know, what Mika Zibanejad turned out to be to move on from a big, uh, potential number one center like Logan Brown, who's still really young. And some guys, especially some guys that size, they just don't hit their their curve until a little bit later. And I'm pretty sure, I think that I might be mistaken on this. If I remember correctly, he he went from like six feet or like 5'11 to 6'6 to six, six during his draft year. Like the summer of his draft year, he grew ridiculously. And he's just like had to spend his entire draft year learning how to play with his size. And he, you know, he's, I think, 6'8 on skates. That, that's a big, that's a tall man. That's a big man on skates. And I think that has been a struggle for him. Yeah, especially when, like you said, you you sprout kind of overnight in a way. And, you know, you go from being a, a six-foot person on skates to six-foot-four in, you know, in a matter of a year. And suddenly you've got to change the way you play the game. I mean, your balance would be off and just the, the sheer force and amount of energy you have to exert to skate, I mean, would be totally different than a six foot player. So, um, so I like what you said there. I think, you know, a, a player, his size could develop slower and especially one that, uh, that hit his growth spurt um, a little bit later on. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm excited to see, I, before we go to break, uh, the AHL came out and said that they're hoping for a December 4th startup. There's talk that they might push it back to whenever the NHL starts because they want it aligned, but there's certain GMs that are like, no, let's start early. We want our players playing. Looking at the Belleville roster, like whatever Belleville roster we can get, if the AHL were to start early, that is ridiculous because we'd be looking at like Norris, Batherson, Abramov, Thompson, Branstrom, all these guys coming in to start the season. And, you know, they have a lot on their, they have a chip on their shoulder because of how last season ended. You know, they were primed, them and Milwaukee were primed for like a call to cup run and it just got taken away from them. As a sense fan, that was the most disappointing thing. Um, just, you know, seeing Belleville having to end their season before we got to see what they could do in the playoffs. And like you said, I think that team would be absolutely dominant in the American Hockey League. Um, and then, you know, potentially if he's healed on time, adding a player like Tim Stutzla, maybe um, to see him develop um, on the smaller ice surface would be interesting as well. Um, I'm not sure if the timelines would add up December 4th, if he'd have enough training in there because he, he's out six to eight weeks. I think I think because it's an upper body, like it's a it's a hand injury. It, he You know, he can still skate. He can. 
you know, he can do the cardio stuff. I don't think it's that, and it's, since it's on his like offhand, it's not on his shooting hand. I think it, it's a, it makes it easier for him to be able to come over and and be with the team and finish his rehab in Belleville and start skating in Belleville than it would be if it was you know a leg injury or you know a hip injury. Yeah, and it definitely adds. I mean, that would add another element to an already stacked Belleville team in the American Hockey League. That that would be it would put them over the top completely. I mean, it would give them the best start. You know theoretically of any team down there. Yeah. I mean, you would have Decord and Gustafson with, and you would still get a guy like, um, Balsers who would still be eligible to go down and, you know, you have Sikor off there and you have a couple of other guys. So it'd be interesting to really see what would that team would look like come the, the start of the year, if they were to start December 4th, because we know a couple of those guys are going to be up in the NHL if it doesn't. Yeah, that would just be a scary and fun team to watch. <laughs> I, yeah. I would definitely be making the trip to uh, to Belleville if uh, if they opened it up to fans. I think if, for the AHL, you would have to because you are such a, a gate-driven league. They don't have the the same kind of TV revenue that the NHL has. I mean, even the NHL wants fans in the stands in some capacity. So I think if there is a start at all, like a December 4th start date, there's going to be – a certain percentage of fans, let it be, you know, like, I mean, I don't know how big, I know uh, Belleville's arena isn't that big. Uh, you could probably fit a couple hundred people in there, socially distanced. Uh, I'm not really sure about the other ones. And I think Toronto, you could do it. Maybe in Laval, you could. I think in the States, you're more than safe to do it. Um, so it'd be interesting. It's more of the travel thing, I think, is is the big one. You know, the, the cross-border, uh, cross-border travel. Yeah, the whole the whole thing will be interesting. I, I'm you know interesting to uh, interested to see what the NHL even does in terms of you know throwing bubbles together, whatever they they plan on doing divisionally or like you said cross border travel. Um, I know things have been you know splurged out a little bit in terms of you know maybe they'll do an all Canadian division or you know there's been a few fun ideas, but I'm I'm not even sure what the American Hockey League would do either. So. Um, it's interesting. Um, I think it, it makes for a really good talking point right now until we have some firm information. Um, and I'm sure we'll get that soon because, you know, theoretically training camp will start early for uh, some of the teams, uh, us included. So, uh, so that'll be interesting too. Yeah. And I mean, two weeks early, that could mean a lot of things. Uh, we'll jump into that because we do have the world junior stuff coming up. We have the 2021 uh, season predictions and kind of lineup predictions coming up after the break. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, remember to subscribe, follow myself and Derek on Twitter, Derek at D Lee 075 myself, uh, sons underscore hour. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. Hi there. Pleased to meet you. My name is Tom Franklin, one half of the Blue Notes podcast and the Hockey Podcast Network. We've got that 2019 Stanley Cup power too sweet to be sour. And we're also your home for the best blues analysis. Yes, it's it's a it's a Bruin, but he, he's he's going to help the power play. And and that's what people need to understand. And, you know, they're going to look at it and say, oh, well, Justin Falk was supposed to help the power play as well. Tory Krug is legitimately 
going to help the power play. Felt like Newport was ready to go into this offseason and use Petrangelo as an example and say, okay, we're going to play chicken here with with uh, with the COVID cap here. Someone is going to give Petrangelo his money. We also have great guests from here at home. St. Louis Post-Dispatch, St. Louis Blues beat writer Jim Thomas, the organist for the St. Louis Blues, Jeremy Boyer, and around the world. Yo, Blues fans, it's Gerard, the Dutch Blues fan, all the way from the Netherlands. And no other podcast can say they have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent, but we do. Aloha! I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, and this is my Aloha Commentary. Plus, a little self-deprecating humor thrown in there. One of our new Blue Note Selkie-level COVID mask, if I can turn it the right way there so I can properly sell it. I am, I, you know what, I am failing my prices Right model audition right here. This is, this is terrible. He has opted for the uh, neck gator uh, version of this, and I'm still failing my... Price is right off this. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> voted the best podcast by our peers in the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow Tom and Wags on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. And be sure to subscribe to Blue Notes wherever you get your podcasts from. This is Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Thank you guys for joining in. Derek's alongside with me from Sunshine. If you haven't heard from him or read any of his stuff, definitely go check it out. Great writer. Uh, thank you for being here, Derek. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, first half hour was great. We're on to the second half hour. Like before the break, we talked about uh, Pierre Dorian, Connor Brown, Anthony Duclair. Now we got to talk about the uh, offseason or upcoming season projections and their, their lineup roster, you know. We've all done it on Twitter. We've all looked at who could be on the roster, how it could shake up. Where? So we're going to start. Whew, we're going to start first line. How do you think that shakes up for for the twenty twenty one season? Yeah, I mean, uh, right now I have it um, Kachuk on the left side. Um, I have Colin White playing the top line with Evgeny Dadnov on the right side. So um, there's there's a few changes you could make. Definitely the center ice position is the most kind of questionable. And and I do wonder what the plan is um, for Pierre Dorian in terms of, you know, shaking the roster up even more in the off season. So I wonder about that position specifically. How do you yeah. have uh, top line? I mean, I think the, like you said, you know, it's going to be most likely Kachuk and Dadnoff on the wings center. You can kind of toss in anywhere. I think they'll give an off the actual ability to play number one with Dadunov. I think they want, cause I'm pretty sure they skate together. They've skated together in the off season before they've taught their, they're close with each other and whatnot. I think DJ Smith will try to continue that chemistry and see what they can do together. So I'm going to put that as my first line. Obviously that center ice position, you can kind of toss and turn, but I think an gets the chance at number one. Love it. Yeah, and I, I like what you said. I think that's very realistic. It's it's a good way to look at it. He's played on top lines before, and he could definitely be there. So I like the line. Uh, second line, what what are you doing for the second line? Yeah, so I think uh, that's where Timmy Stutzla uh, will hopefully slot in if he makes the team uh, out of camp. I think there's still some question as to whether he'll make it, but I, I do think they'll at least give him uh, a nine-game kind of sample size look um, coming out of training camp. Uh, I've got Chris Tierney right now slotted in the middle. 
uh, and Drake Batherson uh, on the right side. Yeah, that's that would be a pretty a pretty good second line for me. I'm going to take Stetzel out of the picture completely because until he signs his contract, I'm not really going to going to play with him just because who knows what's going on. I know there's some sort of people are talking about how we might not like European players might not be eligible because they're under contract and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- obviously the team feels confident. The players feel confident that he's going to be here come camp, but until it happens, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical. Uh, it's just kind of how the organization works. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go second line. I'm going to go Balsers at my left wing. You know, I think DJ Smith really likes him. I think he played, he, he, you know, missed, he, according to to Bruce Garriock and others, he had the best camp out of any AHL forward, you know, better than Batherson, better than Brown. And up until his injury, he was slotted in as that, you know, second, third line left winger. I think he'll continue that without Duclair here. I think that's an opening for him to slot in on that second wing or second line left wing slot. I want to put Josh Norris in the middle. I think he takes a big step this year. He's going to go down the, down the middle, and I'm going to put Batherson on the right side. I think they had chemistry going in, in the AHL. DJ Smith loves the chemistry. I think that's a lineup that, even if it's not together permanently, I think that's a lineup that they would want to see start the season in some capacity. I love it, Shane. That's a, that's a fun lineup. I mean, that's a lot of youth and a lot of fun in that lineup. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think we have to clarify that like DJ Smith doesn't have your typical one through four. Just because you're you're put up on the top line on the board doesn't mean you're going to get top line minutes. So, you know, if, it depends on how you play that game. You know, he he benched a couple of players here and there. So you know, even though we're we're putting him at the second line, doesn't mean they're going to play second line. So before everyone jumps down my throat for that. <laughs> no, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people get stuck on is, um, especially when you're making these you know hypothetical lines, people get stuck on the numbers. You know, oh, there's no way this guy's a third line player, and it's like, well. No, like he could be dispersed in second line minutes, maybe first line minutes, uh, depending on the situations that the guy plays in and, you know, where the coach plays them that night. So I like what you said about that as well. So what about third line? We're getting into the nitty gritty of the lineup. Yeah. So I have Alex Formanton making the team. Um, so that's my kind of hot take for that line. Um, I'm a huge Formanton fan. I, I watched him all along the way. He's from Barrie. Um, I grew up uh, close to Barry, so uh, so I've watched him play funky things like ball hockey, and I'm just like, man, that kid has always stood out to me. Um, I have definitely some high praise for Formanton, uh, probably most than others. So left winger, Alex Formanton uh, in the middle. Um, I like Logan Brown over Josh Norris uh, in the immediacy right now if he, if he makes it that far. And again, I, I've expressed that I believe Ottawa will probably look at moving him potentially this offseason, but maybe not. Maybe they give him, you know, a longer look. And then on the right side, um, that's where if our guy Connor Brown signs his contract, uh, that's where I have him. Yeah, see, I I love that line. Uh, I think I've been a huge Formington fan myself. Uh, When Duclair, when when it said that Duclair wasn't coming back, I'm like, cool. I we have, I think Formington's a better version of Duclair. You know, he brings all the same kind of like speed, uh, tangibles, all that. He had a great rookie year out in the AHL with Belleville. I like him at the third line. You know, so I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna slot him in the third line right now. Looking at who we have, I think him being on a third line, him and Bolster flipping between third and second line, is a great uh, great thing for the organization. Uh, 
For the third line center, I'm going to go Chris Tierney. I think he'll, he's a guy who can fit anywhere in the lineup. And I think him being in that like shutdown kind of role who can give you some scoring, he's going to be on your penalty kill. I, I like it. On the right side, if Connor Brown signs, it's going to be Connor Brown. It just has to be the the way it is for for that. So I think we're on the the same page outside of the center for for that. Yeah, third we line. just flip centers from second and third lines, but yeah, same page there. So how um, are you going to finish it off? Yeah, so to to finish the forward group off, um, I think Nick Paul is the obvious slotted uh, left winger there. Uh, I guess you could make an argument, but. Uh, but I have Paul there. Um, you had Anisimov playing top line. I have him on my fourth line. But uh, but I, as I said before, I do agree with what you said. He did help bring Dadanov here, and I could see definitely see a scenario uh, where they want some experience on that top line. Uh, but I have Anisimov playing my fourth line, and then Austin Watson um, being the intimidation uh, intimidator, playing that uh, right wing position on the fourth line. I don't know if I remember. I, I may have missed it, but did you did you mention Colin White in this? Yeah, I have him on my top line on my first as line. your center. Okay. Yeah, with Kachuk and Dadnoff. I don't know why I thought you just you just missed him. So we <laughs> we basically just swap centers because I have Colin White right now yeah, you're on right. my fourth yeah. line, uh, and it, it's no it's no disrespect to Colin White. I just feel like him playing with Nick Paul and Austin Watson would be great. I think they they met. I think him and Nick Paul really work well together. They complement each other relatively well. You adding in some toughness with a little bit of scoring, like a little bit of finish, should be good. You can kind of give him, especially at home. I think he'll thrive a lot more at home because you can give him the better matchups. And defensively, he can handle playing those tougher matchups. So I like White at the fourth line. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing the top line or the second line at some point. But yeah, I think you know Paul White and Watson will round out the the forward group for me. Yeah, I love it, and I think we're talking about four lines that I think, like we said before, will be maybe not evenly distributed, but on several different nights. You know, depending on who's going that night, could definitely be distributed um, relatively evenly. So I wouldn't get too hung up on kind of what we put together in terms of numbering the lines. Yeah, that, that's for sure. But, I mean, I think overall, I think everyone can agree that the roster construction is going to be something similar to this. Add in Stutzel and kind of replace whoever he's taking out. Uh, you know, so we're moving on to the defense because this one is where it gets tricky. I think we all know who's going to be our top left. Like, I think our left side's pretty much set. Uh, yeah. But how, how do you see the first pairing going? Yeah, so right now I have Shabbat with Zaitsev still. Um, I don't know that there's anyone that Ottawa acquired that's going to pass Zaitsev. Um, but I don't, I like, I never really liked the Shabbat with Zaitsev pairing from last season. So, you know, do they try him with other guys? Probably. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think they might take the veteran in Zaitsev and kind of leave him there. But, uh, but that's my take on it. Yeah, I have obviously Shabbat. It's there was a, to an interview with Josh Brown and it sounded like uh, they kind of told him that, you know, that top pairing spot beside Shabbat is up for grabs and it's anyone's for the taking. Uh, and they're going to play anyone with him and see how everyone fits. I like Josh Brown beside Shabbat at my, my top pair. Yeah, that's, that would be my preference as well. But I think 
so so yeah my my thinking was kind of what it will amount and and what it will end up being um i do like the the opportunity of shabbat and brown i think um brown is a guy who again analytically um gives you a lot more than someone like zaitsev um but he has a relatively small sample size i think he played like 54 games last year or something um and he's, he's not a point getter he's not really a puck mover uh, but he's a stable defensive guy uh, who can play physical. And I think they they mentioned that they like his ability to box people out in front of the net. So uh, so that's what uh, Josh Brown will give you. And very similar options, I think. All three players on the right side give you uh, a very similar skill set. Yeah, that's for sure. I do agree on that. So moving on to your second pairing. I, think it, I, I feel like I have a guess who it's going to be, but <laughs> let's uh, let's hear it. Well, I, I didn't go with Brandstrom, uh, so I have Brandstrom down uh, in the American Hockey League to start. I went with uh, Will Lannan, uh number 24, donning the number 24, and on his right side, I have Josh Brown, because uh, I think that will provide him with a nice, uh, stable D partner. And I think Will Lannan, you know, coming off the injury-riddled season he had last year, he'll need a lot of stability and uh, a lot of help to uh, to hopefully use some of his offensive weapons. And he's 25 years old, so we've got to start seeing something uh, at the NHL level. Yeah, I I mean, I'm the same. I don't have I branch from starting in the AHL with, uh, with Thompson. You're going to probably see that as the top pairing in Belleville. I have Christian Orlando as my second, you know, pairing lefty. I have him with, uh, with Zub, I think. <laughs> You don't sign a guy not to play him in the NHL. And yeah, if you're a Russian, you don't sign in North America to play in the AHL. And it just doesn't make any sense. I feel like he's going to be given a shot. I feel like they're going to give him a legitimate shot at playing top four pairing. So that's why I have at my uh, as my my second line, my second awesome. unit. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what about now? how are you going to finish it off? So to finish it off, um, yeah, Mike Riley. Slotting in on the left side um, provides some good offense again and, and puck movement. Um, and beside him, Eric Goodbranson. Um, and, uh, you know, Goodbranson, he's still making $4 million uh, on his cap hit. Um, so I do see him as an NHL player. And I have Zub as an NHL player, but he's like the seventh defenseman on my list. Um, he's just a wild card for me. I don't, I don't know if we know what we're going to get. From Zub, I, I've watched some, you know, just some videos that were available, and he seems like he has good length and mobility. Um, but if he could move the puck better than, say, an Eric Branson or a Nikita Zaitsev, he might end up passing them. So I like it. Yeah, and I mean, I think for me, uh, basically the same. I have Mike Riley, but I have Zaitsev on my third pairing with Good Branson as my seventh defenseman. I feel like you know we got rid of Borowicki. Uh, because realistically, he's, you know, I don't think Good Branson is going to be here next year. Uh, it's going to be kind of one of those like, you know, we're going to have you in as our seventh defenseman because you're, you know, is better than an option like Golubath or England. Uh, but we also don't, you know, we don't feel comfortable giving Borowicki two years as a seventh defenseman. So I think Good Branson slots in as that third pairing defenseman, kind of play the matchups depending on how Zub or Brown do. He's a guy with like over 700 games experience. So I think people are going to call me crazy for having him as the seventh defenseman. But, you know, I think him and Zaitsev, you can toss in as that third pairing between the two. Uh, 
there's a good chance that Zaitsev doesn't isn't even on the roster come next season. So who who knows what they want to do? Who knows? You know, I think yeah. would you be willing giving up a second round pick to Seattle to take him? Probably. I would. I would give up a second round pick for Seattle to take him. Or you just hope that they take him without giving up a pick. Yeah. I, I don't know if they would do any favors <laughs> like that to us, but uh, I yeah. love the the second round pick idea um, and having to give up. You know, it, it's kind of it kind of sucks that you have to give up an asset to get rid of somebody. But um, yeah, Zaitsev certainly isn't going to live up to that contract. I think we know what he is now. Um, and that's a third pairing at best uh, right shot defenseman. And he's making way too much money to play that role. So uh, yeah, I would love to see Zaitsev as the guy out, to be honest. Um, but that right side is just so interchangeable. I mean, Zaitsev, Brown, Goodbranson, and Zub. I honestly don't know. You know, you could slot them from one to three um, in any way that you you pick, and you could make a case for it. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, obviously, goaltenders. It's Murray and Hogberg. I don't think we need to, yeah, to no dive debate. too much into that. No. <laughs> but yeah, no. De- I think defense is our biggest question mark in terms of how it's going to shape up, especially that right side. Then the left side, unless Brandstrom has an incredible camp, blows the water out of everybody. I think he's starting in the uh the ahl just like thompson and we're gonna have a we're gonna have a rough year on the right side but i think it's gonna be worth it we have to think of you know expansion drafts and whatnot but you know we're running out of time we got about 15 20 minutes left so we got to jump into the world junior uh talk you know they just announced the world junior schedule there's gonna be three games a day uh you know starting on christmas day camp i think two weeks beforehand this is an interesting one. We got a lot of prospects who are eligible. Um, I think we got three, two or three for the U.S. that they seem interested in. With Sanderson, Pinto, um, you know, we have Stutzel, obviously for Germany. There's a, there's a lot going on for this World Juniors. Absolutely, and uh, the first thing I wonder about is if uh, Ottawa is going to take a cautious approach with uh, Timmy Stutzla, and you know, not allow him to participate in the World Juniors. Uh, but I think a lot of people are making the case for the other side, you know, getting him ready for the season, playing on the smaller ice surface and and dominating against his peers. I think we all want to see it. And I think uh, Canada even opens up their tournament against Timmy Stutzla, who will ultimately be the captain of Germany. Um, and that'll just be so exciting. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do again. Excited to see Anderson. Uh, if you haven't known about, if you haven't heard about what's going on with uh, UND, you should be really excited because that top pairing, the projected top pairing at UND is Sanderson and Bernard Docker. Yeah. So that should tell you how high up UND is on Sanderson being a, a true freshman playing with basically their best player defensively in, in Bernard Docker. So Sanderson's most likely going to be the top pairing defenseman depending on who's available. Uh, come the World Juniors, Pinto is most likely going to be the number one center. So Ottawa fans have a lot of looking forward to come. And I think uh, I think uh, Craig uh, is touted as one of the players for for Team Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I know there was thought that he could also be heading to the World Juniors. So and uh, Jarventi could be there. Uh, I think he's still eligible for Finland. We could have like five or six prospects at this World Juniors, depending on how it shakes up. We're going to have a ton of 
prospects to follow. I mean, like we do now. Um, I think sends prospects on Twitter <laughs> always gives you the greatest updates on how these guys are doing. It's great to see, you know, our guys being productive overseas right now playing in Europe. Um, and yeah, the world juniors, uh, for the last few years has been something that sends fans really look forward to because there's just so many players to watch. Um, and this year is going to be even more. So like you said, we're going to have players that are playing prominent roles on their teams um in this this year's world juniors and we're hockey starved you know from a sense perspective so there's a there's just a ton to look forward to in the world juniors i'm looking forward to jake sanderson probably the most um he's the player that you know i was talking about for the longest amount of time i think on twitter as ottawa probably drafting um took a lot of heat for it but uh, yes i remember that <laughs> yeah Definitely took some heat for it, but that's okay um, because I, I really like what Sanderson brings to the Ottawa Senators. So I think people will finally get a chance to see that at the World Juniors, and then everyone's gonna, you know, look back at their old tweets and hit delete because they're gonna be like, "Oh, okay, that's why we drafted that guy. That makes a lot of sense." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I I didn't like Sanderson at five just because I figured we might like if you if you were on since on my sense on our Twitter, if you go through, I'm, I'm back and forth of, you know, would two forwards really be beneficial? Would be getting a defenseman. I think I came down to the conclusion of just trading down, just, just trade it, get rid of it, move down. If you want to pick a guy like Sanderson or, or you want to pick another forward um, trade down, you can get more for it. I like Sanderson. I like Sanderson since the start of the year, I had him touted in the, the 10 to 15 range. If that's where the San Jose pick landed, if, if he was on the board in that range, I say, go for it. Uh, at number five, do I think it's a little bit of a reach? Probably not, considering everything else that I've seen and heard from him. But only time will tell to see how it works out. Our left side's pretty pretty swamped. It just means that there's a chance that maybe Branstrom moves to the right. We'll have to wait and see what DJ and, and Co. want to do. But it definitely makes our, our top six a lot more frightening with a guy like Sanderson. Yeah, I, I think he was the missing element. Um, I think I've said this before, but... Um, if you're looking at acquiring a top six right winger, let's say, for example, if that's who you would have drafted in that five position, um, it's a lot easier to do so. If you look at the market and kind of who's out there, Patrick Line, you know, you could assign Taylor Hall and free agency. If you're looking at, you know, these high end um, forward players, they're easier to acquire than someone like Jake Sanderson. I mean, if you're projecting Sanderson to be anywhere close to, uh, Miro Heiskinen, which I think is, you know, on the high side of, of what we're projecting. But even, you know, someone else um, like Seth Jones, let's say, for example, like how often do these players come available on the market? They they never do. And when the forwards come available, the teams um, shopping these forwards are always looking to improve their top four defensemen. So, you know, teams like Winnipeg, they're shopping line A to improve their D. Yeah, and I mean... And I think Ottawa fans need to be patient, you know. Seth Jones wasn't where he was when he was traded. Like, I think that's something that needs to be – people need to remember was that when Seth Jones was traded to Columbus for Ryan Johansson, he wasn't near any like, – he wasn't near the, the elite level that he is at now. He, he grew, you know. People called Hedman a bust within the first three before his entry-level contract was over. Uh and I think fans are, are very quick to jump on the gun. 
Sanderson's going to maybe take a little bit more seasoning. Who knows? It depends on how long he stays at UND. If he stays at UND the same amount of time Bernard Docker is, I expect him to jump right into the NHL. You know, you're a top five pick. You spend, you know, two, three years at UND. I expect you to jump into the NHL right away. Obviously, you know, maybe it's a wild expectation. I don't know. But I'm I'm interested to see his development. I like what UND has done. So he's going to be a guy to watch for the next year or two and see what happens with that. Yeah, I I agree. I think he projects as an NHL player in a couple of years, um, for sure, right from UND, uh, right to the NHL. Um, yeah, he's not the flashiest player. I mean, he's you could make an argument that, you know, they passed up a lot of skill up front, and uh, that's definitely an argument you could make, and we'll have to see to, you know, wait and see how Cole Perfetti and Marco Rossi and whoever they passed up develops. Um, I, I like the Rossi jersey behind you, too, but... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, at the same time, I think Sanderson, like I said, brings an element that Ottawa was missing to their D and also makes their D core as a whole a lot stronger and something that they really haven't had for a number of years. And teams that win championships have strong D. So that, That's for sure. I mean, you look at St. Louis, they were kind of powered by their defense. Uh, even Tampa, you know, you had Hedman, McDonough, Shannon Kirk, he he turned that into a great deal in uh, in Anaheim. You know, Luke Shen and, and Zach Bogosian kind of came out of the woodworks and helped. So, you know, defense help, helps win championships. That that's definitely for sure. Um, before we wrap up, going to introduce a new segment: sends our over under. Uh, you can bet on anything nowadays. So, you know, we're going to look at every every episode. We're going to look at something new, either it be, you know, a team's win, like win total over under, um, players' points or goals, uh, goalies' win percentage wins, whatever the case may be. If you have any suggestions on what you want us to look at, definitely let us know on Twitter. Um, as someone who loves this over under stuff, I thought this was a great way to kind of bring a betting element to the, element, uh, to the podcast without actually having to go out and bet your own money. Uh, so we're going to look today. We're looking at Matt Murray's uh, on a potential over under on wins or and save percentage going into next season. This one's going to be tricky because you know, the team around him may not be the best defensively. So that could skew numbers uh, looking at his last couple of years. It, it's kind of hard to see what he'll be. Uh, so I have Matt Murray, at an over-under of 22.5 wins with uh, an over-under of a save percentage of 0.910. What are you taking on for the wins? Are you taking over-under and are you taking the over-under on the save percentage? I like it. Um, So you have 22.5 for your wins? For my wins, and then point uh, point 0.910 save percentage over-under. So last season, uh, Murray played 38 games. He had 20 wins last season. Um, He's going to get more games this year if he's healthy. I think he'll get, you know, upwards of 50, uh, maybe even more starts uh, for Ottawa. So uh, for wins, I'm going to take the over. I think uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 wins would be really, really nice for Matt Murray. Is that including, because uh, shoot it uh, overtime losses count as half a win. Um, and the reason why I took 22 and a half is because I don't know how much 
how many games, depending on the schedule, right? I think them, him and Hogberg will probably get a good amount of starts and depending on how the length of. So are we taking, are we also including overtime wins on this? Are we going to go, are we going to bump it up a little bit on the over if it, if it is? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a solid point because that definitely changes the number. So, um, so yeah, if, if we're including them, I'll stick to the over. I'll say that, uh, that he's going to get over, but if we're changing the number up, you know, that might move it under. Yeah. Cause yeah, last year he was, he actually had 22 and a half wins. Exactly. Last oh. year, um, the year, but the year before he had 31 and or. 32 and a half. He had uh, 29 and a half the previous year and then had 34. So like he's up near the 30 range or close to the 30 range the last couple of years. Um, Personally, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to go 29, just a straight 29. Um, That's good. That's high. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, with Hogberg again, like I said earlier, Hogberg is going to, going to still going to challenge, you know, he, he was riding the wave. I think he has a little bit of disrespect on his shoulder being like, Oh, you don't think I can handle being a number one. I'm going to show you who mm-hmm. can be a number one. Uh, and I think, you know, as much as they want to say Matt Murray's the number one and how much he's penciled in as the number one, if Matt Murray struggles and Hogberg comes in to relieve and he starts playing well, Hogberg is going to get the net. And yeah. You know, the chances of us playing a full 82-game season, I'm not high on it. Going to be a lot of back-to-backs. So I'm going to say 29 wins is a good number. And if you're uh, if you're a betting man, I, and if that, I, I would take the over on Matt Murray. I would never take the under on Matt Murray for wins. Yeah, I like it. I'm with you. I'm going over 22 and a half as well. Um, probably closer to 25 for me, but uh, but I'm definitely taking the over. That's fair. So moving on to the save percentage, he's had, you know, above nine, 10, three out of the five years as a starter last year, he was under 900. Um, you know, I think nine, 10, uh, nine, 10 is a very reasonable save percentage. What are you taking? Yeah. His career high, I think came in 16, 17, uh, at nine twenty three. So, I mean, he had a great, um, season, uh, that year in terms of uh, save percentage with with a bigger sample size. I think he might have had higher the year before, but uh, but it was a small sample size. Um, for 9-10, I think that's going to be tough to achieve for Matt Murray on the Ottawa Senators. Um, he came off an 899, so, uh, you know, below 900. Um, I'm, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to say 905. Yeah. I You know what? I... I agree. And you look at the way Nielsen, like Nielsen and Hongberg and Anderson say percentage. I believe they were all under nine ten um, for most of the year. I'm going to take the under on, on Matt Murray, but I'm not going to take, I'm going to say, I'm going to go back to his uh, 2017, 18 number. And I'm going to do nine Oh seven. Love it. I think he, he's going to be right there. He's going to, he's going to nip it, but there's going to be a couple of games where he just gets blown out because our team isn't like, you know, He's going to face a team like Tampa and, or, or Boston or Vegas, depending on how the schedule works. And it's just going to be one of those games where nothing goes right for him. And I think there's going to be a couple of those. Um, you know, we saw it last year with Hogberg against Pittsburgh. He just, it was like 6-2. I think it's just going to, there's going to be a couple of those games. And I think it's going to kind of fluctuate the number, but I'm going to, I'd have to go under. Yeah. 
yeah, there's definitely potential there. You know, you, you start having some games, like you said, that you're giving up three goals on 17 shots or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and it doesn't look so good. And, and then, you know, the save percentage is going to dip uh, pretty low on those games. But, you know, on the plus side, he'll be getting a lot of shots and he is a goalie that thrives on work. So, um, so there is potential that he could get over, but, uh, but I think the safe bet is definitely under uh, 910. 100%. So you heard it here, folks. If you're a betting man and you want to bet on a player's success, I'm going to take the over on Matt Murray's win total, take the under on his save percentage. No numbers are, have been officially released, so this is all just pure speculation. Once numbers are released, uh, whenever the season starts, we're going to take the look at some of these actual hard numbers that have been set up, and we're going to tell you to take the over-under. So you're, wanna, you're going to want to stay tuned. Every week, we're going to be dropping out these truth bombs, these over-under totals. Uh, thank you, Derek, for joining me. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, you know, We talk constantly on Twitter, so it's nice to finally you know, talk face-to-face somewhat. Absolutely, Shane. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed the time. Yeah, and hopefully we can have you on uh, at some point in the near future. Absolutely. Okay, guys, uh, that's all for this episode. Follow Derek at uh, dlee 75 at Twitter. Check out his stuff on Sendshot. Great articles. Uh, follow the Sends Hour on Twitter and Instagram, Sends underscore Hour. Follow me at Shane underscore Ryan 97. Um, and, yeah, stay tuned for more great content. We'll be back here next week with a brand-new episode. Thank you again, Derek, for coming on. Hopefully talk soon. Thanks, guys.